today on Ag News Daily. If that doesn't happen between now and harvest, we're going to see a lot of cash pressure because there's going to be a lot of cash that moves. The basis in particular is going to be under a lot of pressure. So I think it's not really not a bad idea to take this bounce that we've had off lows. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Hannah Pegel, one of the co-hosts for the Ag News Daily podcast. It is August 6th, and I am joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, how's it going? You know, it's not too bad at all, Hannah Pagel. How about yourself? It's, you know, it's a great day. I attempted a run this morning, so that's always good. Good for you. How far did you go, and what was your uh, what was your overall take? You glad you went for a run? Yeah, you know, I got some endorphins going, and, you know, just starting off my Monday, and I went 2.5 miles, but I didn't run the whole 2.5 miles, but I... Like I said, I attempted a run, so I feel good. Wow. Well, that is uh, more productive than me this morning. I ate about 10 chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> so it's kind of a marathon of cookie eating. i got to keep it up all day. It's all about pacing yourself. That's right. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Darn right. Now, Hannah, you, I know, like to go to the Des Moines Farmer's Market. Did you have a chance to uh, to go this past weekend? I did go this weekend. I enjoyed it immensely. I always love the Des Moines Farmer's Market. How late were you there? I got there around 8.30, and I probably was there until 11, 11.30. Gotcha. So was that uh, before or after it flooded? I uh, So I did not see anything flood, so it must have happened right as I left. But I was in Des Moines later on that evening, and that road was completely blocked off. Gotcha. Yeah, I was following some of my friends that uh, sell stuff down there at the farmer's market, and they said, I think when they were closing up, a water main broke, completely flooded Court Avenue, the downtown street in Des Moines, where they hold the farmer's market, and made packing up a little difficult. So I just wondered if uh, you'd gotten out of there with, with dry Crocs. I did, but like you said, I well, I actually wasn't wearing my Crocs, but that is another reason why you should wear Crocs because, you know, if you never know when when pipes are going to break. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, let's see, Hannah, what's going on in the world of ag news? We're going to be talking to Ted Seifert for our hashtag Market Monday a little bit later on, but what are the headlines on you this morning? So, Mike, the first thing that I have for you is an update on the North Carolina Smithfield lawsuit. So we've been Mm. covering these throughout the summer. And on Friday, the Associated Press reported that a third lawsuit against Smithfield Foods had found the company guilty for, quote unquote, unreasonable nuisances they suffered from odors, flies and rambling, rumbling trucks. So a federal jury placed the fine at. $473.5 million to six neighbors of the pig farms. Jeez! Isn't that crazy? Yeah, the the jury awarded $23.5 million in compensating damages and $450 million in punitive damages, but because of a North Carolina law, the total was reduced to $94 million. But that's still a, a big chunk of change considering this is the third out of 26 lawsuits that are that's taking place. Yeah, and it's just six neighbors. So even if you figure the lawyers keep half, you're dividing $45 million among six people. Uh, a couple of folks just retired would be my guess. Uh-huh. I would agree. 
Well, you know, talking Smithfield, of course, in the pork processing business, this is earnings season. We're getting the uh, second quarter earnings from a lot of publicly traded companies. And one of those firms was Tyson, the uh, largest meat processor here in the U.S., and they announced that uh, their profit uh, expectations for the second quarter were stronger than they had expected, but they did have some concerns. And here's what jumped out at me. The, their income for chicken processing dropped to $189 million. Last year, it was at $294 million for the second quarter. So it's dropped $100 million. And their pork operating income was down uh, just about by half from $136 million to $67 million. So they are having some trouble there with the pork and chicken business. However, Tyson was saved by the beef unit. This is something that I've talked to a lot of cattle feeders. Uh, we've been seeing processors make very, very good money on a per head basis in the cattle processing, and Tyson was no exception. They earned, their beef unit earned $318 million this last quarter, up nearly twice from a year earlier. So there we've got some strength in the overall meat processing business here in the U.S. Okay, so it's like the pork and chicken, is that just because people are not buying that or... It's predominantly, it appears to be it's lower prices. So we've had a ton of pork come onto the market as well as a whole bunch of chicken. And Tyson and JBS and Smithfield and all those others have been pushing more and more out. And they're just seeing their margins shrink is the way it looks to me. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. Well, the next story I have for you, Mike, is the USDA is investing $97 million in rural broadband infrastructure. So Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue announced that the USDA is investing the $97 million in 12 projects to provide or improve rural broadband services in 11 different states. So the USDA is making the investments through the Telecommunications Infrastructure Loan Program and the Community Connect Grant Program, and the projects USDA is investing in today will hopefully help improve the quality of life in rural communities in Arizona, Iowa, Idaho, Maryland, Minnesota, Missouri, Nevada, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. So, huh. Kind of a diverse group of states with Maryland in there as well as Iowa and Oklahoma. And I thought the same thing because, honestly, I mean, Maryland is a smaller state compared to, like, you know, Iowa, South Dakota, and whatnot. So, And when I think of Maryland, I instantly kind of think of, what is it, Annapolis as their capital? Yeah, I mean, they've got uh, Annapolis and Baltimore and, you know, half of Washington, D.C., or at least the suburbs. Uh, I'm surprised they need rural infrastructure for broadband. I was thinking the same thing, but I guess apparently they do, so. Hmm. Well, listen, uh, listeners, if any of you are from Maryland, and I know that we've got downloads out there on the East Coast, uh, if you're in a rural area, give us a shout on Facebook or on Twitter at Ag News Daily and tell us what's your experience with uh, rural broadband Internet. Perfect. What else is jumping out at you, Mike? Well, you know, we've got some interesting news. Trade, of course, has been in the headlines now for the better part of a year, and it has been U.S. trade with other countries, whether it's Canada or China or the EU or so on and so forth. This morning, we had trade news that had nothing to do with the United States, and it was Canadian-Saudi Arabia trade. Two countries that you don't think of doing a whole lot of trading, but they are both uh, fairly large oil 
uh, powers. Ah. And basically, Saudi Arabia came out this morning and they said they are not going to do any new trade deals, any new additional trades with the country of Canada. They kicked out the Canadian ambassador. They've recalled their own ambassador to Canada. And they're basically cutting all diplomatic ties between Saudi Arabia and Canada. Don't know what it's going to mean long term. It's definitely a bigger impact on the oil markets than it would have on, say, corn and soybeans. But I just think that's fascinating that we went years without talking about trade at all. And now it's everywhere all at once. And even different countries mm-hmm. are, you know, pulling themselves into the trade spats. No, you're right. But I guess what's the motive for canceling ties with Canada? Good question. So Canada came out publicly and said that Saudi Arabia needs to release uh, basically political prisoners that they've picked up here over the past six months. Uh, They wanted to see, I believe it was 14 people freed from Saudi Arabian jails for advocating on behalf of human rights. And Saudi Arabia said, you're not going to tell us what to do. Get your ambassador out here. We don't want any more, you know, anything more to do with you, Canadians. And I guess it that escalated rather quickly. Okay, so there's some Canadians in uh, essentially prison in Saudi Arabia, and they want. I don't even think they're Canadians. Uh, Canada just said, you know, it's a matter of principle. You should release these. uh, I think they're Saudi Arabian people that have been caught up in these uh, kind of police things. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Okay, well, I have another headline here for you. So the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association Climate Prediction Center released their latest outlooks um, last week, last Friday for August 2018 and the August through October 2018 weather period. And they found that the map showed that precipitation has an increased chance of being above normal for the next month, and temperatures for the next three months are expected to be above normal based on long-term trends. But for August, there are equal chances of being below, near, or above normal conditions due to the likelihood of wet and cloudy conditions. So they're looking, they're saying that August is supposed to be kind of cooler temperatures and kind of some wetter, wetter conditions. Um, so that's what they're kind of saying. So I'm kind of interested how that's going to, you know, affect, uh, harvest season. I know weather changes all the time, but kind of just some interesting thoughts there. It is. And it's a big shift from just a week or 10 days ago when they were saying huge heat wave to come in the month of August. That's been pulled back and now it's, you know, still warm, but they've added some, some wetness. So mm-hmm. we'll get the, we'll get Ted's thoughts on what that means for the soybean market here. Once we get in to the markets. And with that being said, Hannah, do you have any other news for us today before we talk to Ted? I don't, Mike. So why don't you tell us who our sponsor is for the markets today and get us into those. You betcha, folks. Our markets are brought to us by our good friends at the Zaner Group. We will be hearing from their chief market strategist, Ted Seifert, in just a minute. But always remember, if you want to do business with these great folks, you can give them a call at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at zaner.com. Now let's take a look at the markets here. We've got mixed trade in the grains. In corn, the September contract was up three quarters of a cent to 370 and a half. December also up three quarters to close at 385 even. In soybeans, a little bit of weakness today. The August contract was down nine cents, finished at eight seventy seven and a quarter. November also dropped nine cents to finish at eight ninety three and a quarter. In Chicago wheat, 
Well, the Bulls are back in play. The September contract up 17 cents at 5.73 and a quarter. December up 15 and three quarters to close at 5.95 and a half. Looking over on the livestock side, all down the meat complex, we've got Red Inc. In live cattle, the August contract was down 27 and a half cents at 110.40. The October off 45 to close at 111.55. In feeder cattle, the August contract down a dollar at 151.85. September down a dollar 17.50 at 181. 85. And in lean hogs, the August contract down $1.90 at 56.60. The October down 55 cents, closed the day at 50.22 and a half. And a quick look over at the dairy market in our class three milk contracts, the August down a nickel at 14.83, with September down 20 cents to close at 15.48. Before we jump into that conversation with Ted Seifert for hashtag Market Monday, let's get a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seed. Joined now by agronomy specialist Phil Long from Latham High Tech Seeds. Phil, you get out in the fields a lot working with producers. What have you been seeing this year as far as the corn crop goes? Yeah, so it seems like we've been seeing a lot of nitrogen deficiency showing up. You know, typically later in the season you see that nitrogen firing coming up from the bottom of the plant, and, and it's kind of showing up a little bit early this year. Uh, that yellowing and then inverted V shape coming up, and, and I've seen some up to the ear leaf, which isn't a good thing, but, uh, you know, we've had a lot of heavy rains and, and flooding and ponding early on, and, uh, and, and even some poor planting conditions that probably contributed uh, to what we're seeing right now. But... Uh, just unfortunate that we're seeing quite this early in, in the corn crop. Phil, if folks are experiencing nitrogen deficiency, what can they be doing in their fields? So unfortunately, you know, when when it's wagging, the, you know, kind of wagging the white flag, it's it's a little too late. Uh, you know, if it's showing right now, it's probably causing damage. But um, you know, there are things you can look for. You know, you're probably going to end up seeing some some tip back, uh, maybe a little more than normal on the ears and maybe in some poor kernel set to have it, you know, around this pollination time period. And the other thing I'd warn guys against is pay attention at the end of the season for, for weaker stocks, you know, because that, that corn plant is going to try its hardest to, to fill that that ear with nitrogen and protein, and, and it will cannibalize the stock if it needs to. So just something to watch out for when they get closer to harvest. Absolutely, and you can always reach out to any one of the specialists or agronomists there at Latham High Tech Seeds by calling 1-800-GO-LATHAM. Welcome back, folks. It's Hashtag Market Monday here on Ag News Daily, and joining us is our good friend, Ted Cypress. Ted, how you doing today? Doing good, buddy. Hashtag the Ted Spread. Yes, yes. At the Ted Spread on Twitter. Be sure to look him up. He's always got great insights on the markets, and that's what we're going to pull out of his brain right now. Ted, first question to you. Mm-hmm. Beans down eight and a half to nine cents today across the uh, you know front couple contract months. Was this positive August weather or continued trade concerns moving the market today? Yeah, I'm going to go with all the all the above there, Mike. Um, you know, got some rains over the weekend uh, and into Monday morning, so that is helping. Uh, yes, we had some warm temperatures over the weekend, but we look further out and we get back to more normal temperatures. So the month of August at the moment does not look terribly threatening for soybeans. Uh, again, it's a long-term forecast. Take it with a grain of salt. There are certainly some areas that are struggling more than others, uh, but overall, the month of forecast, the month of August forecast, doesn't look too terribly threatening for soybeans. Um, and then also, yes, I mean, every day that goes by that we're not 
getting any positive information on trade news. It just feels like this is getting deeper and deeper and possibly more and more permanent. Uh, so that is just kind of keeping sort of a black cloud over the soybean market. And as we're all putting together our trade estimates for this Friday's WASDE report, uh, I think a lot of us, uh, like myself, are coming up with some very big carryover potentials for soybeans uh, because, again, we're continuing to adjust demand for next year based on China, for the most part, trying to shy away from us as much as possible. And, Ted, you touched a little bit on weather there. So I saw a report released by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, and they stated that between August and October, we are expected to see more precipitation and cooler weather conditions. Now, I know weather reports are not always accurate, but with this prediction, how is that going to affect harvest condition conditions for farmers? So that's an interesting question, Hannah, because, you know, that forecast has trended a little bit cooler and wetter than what we have been looking at before. So that's part of the reason that we've taken or we're not quite as excited about the August weather as we had been a few weeks ago. But now we get into the question of, uh, you know, how is harvest going to go? And if we're going to get rain and get us get into a sloppy harvest. But this is a very advanced crop. Uh, we are moving towards maturity at a record pace for both corn and soybeans, more faster than any other year, hence record pace. Uh, so it seems like we're going to have quite a bit of time uh, to get into harvest, and we might be doing it earlier, uh, quite a bit earlier than what we would normally do. So I don't think planting or, I'm sorry, uh, harvest delays are, are really going to be a big issue this year. I think we'll, we'll have a lot of time. With the soybeans, it could be a little different because if we get too much rain over a short period of time and we hadn't, haven't got into the field yet, that can cause some damage, so we'll always look out for that. But this is probably not a year where we're going to be talking too much about an early frost. This is probably not a year where we're going to be talking too much about harvest delays uh, because it, it seems like this crop is going to reach maturity very quickly and we'll have a lot of time to get in and get it out. Now, Ted, you did mention that we do have the uh, the WASDE report coming up here on Thursday, correct? Yes. Uh, no, yes. Friday, Friday. Friday. Friday, yes. Friday this, this week. What, what are you – where do you sit with your calculations today? Okay. Um, so for the corn – and really, I'm just going to focus on new crop ending stocks here. But uh, mm-hmm. for corn, uh, production-wise, we're actually at a 180.2 national average yield. Uh, keep in mind, these are the numbers that we're guessing from the USDA, not necessarily our final numbers. I have a little bit of a question about how well we will fill this crop out and if we're actually going to have the kernel depth and ear weights that we have seen in the last few years when we've had very mellow and mild August into September. But at least for this report, we're standing at a 180.2 national average yield. Uh, that gives us a very large production number of 14.74 billion bushels. But even with that very big production number, we're sitting at uh, a 1.812 billion bushel carryover. That is a bigger number than what we saw last month at the 1.552. Um, but I think a, a, a better than 180 national average yield might be about the biggest we see from the USDA this year. I think that number would come back down a little bit for reasons we just talked about. Um, so that 1.812, for my balance sheets, are pro- is probably going to be the biggest number I put out there. Uh, I can see walking that back down to a 1.6. And, and I think the, the real positive thing about that is that even with a better than a 180 national average yield, we're still looking at about a 1.8 or less billion bushel carryover for corn. And that, I think, is a, fa- a fairly friendly concept and a friendly idea. 
as long as we don't get a ton more acres next year because of really poor soybean prices. So mm-hmm. keep that in mind. Uh, as far as soybeans are concerned, this is where things start to turn a bit more negative. Uh, I'm at a 50.5 national average yield, uh, which is a, a two bushel an acre increase over the USDA's uh, last uh, estimate or their trend line yield. Uh, that puts me just under a 4.5 billion bushel um, uh, production number, and my carryover is 671 million bushels. That is a large number. Um, and listen, that yield number could still go higher. If it did, this may be the first year that at some point somebody will suggest that we could have close to a billion bushel carryover, carryover in soybeans. So if this trade concern or this trade issue with China continues on. The soybean picture could get really rather negative if those yield numbers come in as positive as what some people are thinking right now. And, Ted, you're talking bushel carryover, and, you know, August is here. Harvest season is right around the corner. If we have Mm -hmm. some farmers that still have some of last year's harvest in the bins, what should they be doing? Yeah, well, you know, uh, that's a very good question, Hannah. We've talked to guys that have old crop in the bin uh, all the time, and a lot of them don't want to let anything go right now because they're optimistic that something's going to get resolved as far as the trade uh, concerned with NAFTA and with China, uh, and that prices are going to are going to shoot higher when that happens. Um, well, here I, I'm going to say this: if that doesn't happen between now and harvest, we're going to see a lot of cash pressure because there's going to be a lot of cash that moves. Um, basis in particular is going to be under a lot of pressure. So I think it is not really not a bad idea to take this bounce that we've had off lows uh, just over the course of the last month and price out some bushels here. And if you still want to have some upside potential, look, you can go in and buy September short-dated calls that have uh, about 20 days left on them. They really don't have a lot of time, but they're really quite cheap, and that gives you upside potential. Or if you want more time than that, you can go in and buy November calls. You can replace those bushels, but you need to protect basis and you need to protect uh, uh, flat price as well, and, and probably the best way to do that right now is to make those cash sales if you can if you can manage it. Yeah, you know we've seen what for the past two or three years that August 30th, August 31st, that last uh, trading day of the month, boy, it, it's awful bloody as that DP corn uh, yeah. gets moved to market real quick. Yeah, you're right. I mean that's when we've been seeing our quote unquote harvest lows. You know, mm-hmm. and it's not because the the grain that we're harvesting or the soybeans that we're harvesting are going to market right away, it's because the old crop moves. And usually we put that low in right in the very beginning of harvest or so, uh, earlier than we have been in years past, because of that old crop movement. So, yeah, you know, you got to look out for that again this year, and soybeans in particular that could be kind of nasty. So take advantage of the better prices and, you know, hopefully, uh, I mean, basis is really not great for a lot of people right now anyways, but it could get a lot worse. So hopefully you're taking advantage of that too. Well, talking harvest, Ted, uh, let's take a look at the wheat market. Winter wheat harvest is continuing. We're seeing, continue to see reports out of Europe, northern Europe in particular, of drought and, you know, now increased rainfall and just a less than stellar wheat crop. Chicago wheat certainly has uh, has bounced on this news. You know, so is Kansas City and Minneapolis. How long can we keep this run going here in the uh, various wheat classes? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I have a feeling that we run out of steam at some point in the relatively near future. If we look at last Wednesday, we had sort of a, a blow-off reversal high where we were flying during the day and then ended up barely closing higher. Uh, but there was news involved in that. I mean, that was a, a, a fake sort of uh, – well, not fake, but an erroneous or uh, a headline that in error that happened earlier in the day on Wednesday 
suggesting that the Ukraine was going to limit or, or the government, the Ukrainian government was going to limit their exports when in actuality they meant to say that their exports might be limited this year because they don't have as good of a crop uh, uh, compared to last year. Anyways, we were flying early in the day. We came back. Uh, today we had the reversal higher day. So I think the uptrend is still intact for now. However, uh, like you said, moving along in har- harvest, we're, we're picking it up in, in, in spring wheat harvest as well. Harvest pressure could eventually start to get to us a little bit. Um, and there's a lot of people in the world that know how to grow wheat and can do it well. So, you know, this is sort of a, a, a year where we've got all our major exporters having issues, so there is justification for higher prices. But pretty quickly, we'll get back on the horse again and start producing again. Um, and, and listen, we're not getting into a very tight situation on a global scale, even if you do take China out of it. So while I do think there's upside left, I think guys have to be looking at it uh, as an opportunity, with finger on the trigger. This is not a, a situation where it's just going to continue to climb higher. Um, I would say, you know, if I'm looking at December Chicago wheat, uh, my target's going to be right around 650. Uh, but I would start pulling the trigger earlier than that, starting at like 620 or just above last Wednesday's highs. No, I'm sorry, last Thursday's highs, uh, I would start layering in some sales sales more and more aggressively as it continues higher. And, Ted, looking at the cattle market, you know, there really isn't much movement going on. So is there something producers can can do to cause an upward trend or a movement? Or what advice do you have for our livestock producers in this market? Yeah, sure. You know, another good question, Hannah. Um, You know, cattle market's been – kind of conflicting uh, recently. I mean, because a lot of the analysts want to talk about this sort of wall of cattle. And we saw on last cattle on feed uh, report that we had 3.4% um, uh, higher on feed numbers than we had marketing numbers. So we're building supply. And production has been higher than it has the last couple of years. But at the same time, we really have very good demand as well, uh, both from the domestic and export fronts. Um, so that's kind of keeping things in, in fairly steady. We've got prices similar to what we've seen the last couple of years, even though our production is higher. But we're absorbing that demand, or I'm sorry, we're absorbing that supply. So, you know, we saw cash cattle trade 114 late on the day on Friday. Um, we're still trading about a $2 discount, which I think is where the market just see, seems really rather comfortable at right now. So we've got to keep an eye on cash. If cash can continue to slowly chew its way higher, then this upward trending channel that we've been in since middle of May could stay intact. And right now, the chart looks really good for higher prices, even though today we came back off the highs just a little bit, sort of taking a little bit of a breather. Uh, overall, it seems this market does still want to go higher for now. All right, Ted. We've got to talk to you about the pork industry. We had a report of African swine fever break in yeah. China. Saw a lot of the Chinese hog production companies suffer in their stock market today. Yep. Is this a positive factor for domestic pork production here in this country? Looking out over the years at anything we can get excited about, didn't seem to be today watching the markets. Yes, it did not seem to be today. And listen, Mike, this could be really friendly for U.S. pork, but when you put a 60% tariff on U.S. pork, it doesn't really matter. And that's the thing. That's why the market couldn't get excited about it here today, just because you know having such a, a, a prohibitive tariff on U.S. pork in China, they are probably they are likely going to need to find some other um, – they're going to bring in pork. Their exports will go higher. It's just probably not going to be from us. That could be good things on a global scale because if they're taking pork from elsewhere, South America, uh, uh, Australia, you know, so on and so forth, then other countries could potentially be coming to us. 
but at least for today, it was a little disappointing that we couldn't get the hogs to trade higher on what would potentially be some pretty bullish news if it wasn't for the tariffs. Now, here's the thing. On Friday, we did have a key reversal higher. I don't always see that as being a bottom in a market, any market. Um, I usually see that as sort of a red flag of, for the beginning of a bottoming formation. But hogs are a kind of market that can put in sort of V-bottom. So it's not typical in the grains necessarily, uh, but it is, a, it is a possibility for the hogs. So I do wonder, you know, when I look at the October hogs, if this 50 mark it might be a likely area for us to, to form a bit of a bottom and start to bounce from here. And in longer term, that Chinese story could be really friendly, but, you know, that's very dependent on if we get anything done, uh, get any sort of resolution with the Chinese, Chinese trade tiff that we're having right now. Yeah, you're exactly right. It depends on a lot of different factors. A, the ASF has to spread, and B, we've got to be back on talking terms with the, with yeah. the Chinese, I guess, to get started. Yeah. Now, Ted, we got to let you go. We know you got a lot of work going on, but if our listeners want to get a hold of you, want to do some business with you, how can they reach Ted Seifert? Absolutely. You can reach me on my direct line at 312-277-0113. Otherwise, you can find us on the web at www.zaner, that's Z-A-N-E-R.com, and or you can always find me on Twitter at uh, at the Ted Spread. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I like to argue about whether hot dogs are sandwiches uh, or – which they are, by the way, but uh, – <laughs> And other fun things like that. So if you're interested yes. in that sort of thing, Twitter is a great place for it. Absolutely it is. Ted Seifert, thanks so much for taking the time today. Pleasure's mine, guys. You guys have a wonderful day. Talk to you later. Well, again, that was Ted Seifert with the Zener Group. And, Mike, what would you think? I think he really explained the markets for us very well today. He's great on the markets. He's wrong about hot dogs being sandwiches. I mean, everybody has a flaw. That's Ted's. But I love his market analysis. I love the work he does at Zayner. Glad to have them as a partner. Absolutely. Well, to each their own with their opinions, I guess. So. Nope. Nope. Mine's right. Ted's is wrong. That's a fact. Okay. Well, let's just we'll stay open minded on that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, oh. if we have listeners who want to get a hold of us or listen to past podcasts, where can they go? First of all, they should always be following us on Facebook and Twitter to search for Ag News Daily. We want your suggestions. We want your thoughts. We want what's happening in your neck of the woods so we can keep our listeners up to date. Also, if you want to listen to past podcasts or get market advice from our other experts, visit our website at agnewsdaily.com. And with that, Hannah, should we let the people go? Let's let them go, Mike. 